Years ago, Laura and I were dating in college and we went back to my parents' house for a weekend. And as a result, she slept in my room and I got shuffled down to the guest bedroom. And the guest bedroom in my parents' house is on the complete other end of the house, or old house, downstairs. And I remember I was sleeping and it was so comfortable, I'd never slept there before. I was all cozied in, and I woke up in the middle of the night and I had to use the restroom. And you know, it was that awkward, do I get up, do I go back to bed, and got up, and all of a sudden I, I literally hit a wall. I turned and I hit another wall, and I remember flailing around the room. Like, I, it was a bizarre experience. I didn't know where I was, I didn't know how to get where I needed to be, and I finally hit a light switch and it was like, oh, you're in the guest room. Well, you know, lost people live like I slept in the guest room. You have no idea where you are and no idea what you're doing. But too often believers live like I lived in the guest room when I got up to use the restroom. You're not quite sure where you are or where you're going or how to get there. And our text today is all about when you need to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and you don't know where you are. <laughs> no. Our text today is about how we live in the light and experience the joy of the resurrection by living, resurrection by living by sight. I'm in Luke 24 again. And we're going to look at a well-known story about two people on the road to Emmaus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. <clears throat> Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. And he said, Jesus says to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these or suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? 
And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is the word of the Lord. What's that have to do with a dark room? Look at this first part here and see the need to see. If you look at verse 13 to 24, these two people were sad. Who are these two people? They're verse 9 folks. You see verse 9? You had the 11 and then who? The rest of them? These are people who were disciples of Jesus. This is Resurrection Sunday afternoon. They're going back to Emmaus. They're, they're probably from Emmaus, and they're probably going home after the Passover, really disappointed. We don't know who they are other than Cleopas. Maybe his wife, maybe another guy. We don't know. It doesn't matter. But it says, they stood, verse 17, looking what? Why were they sad? Well, life without a resurrection is kind of sad. Life without Christ for who he is is seen accurately is kind of sad. And lost people live sad lives because there's no hope, there's no resurrection, there's no future. But too often as believers, we live joyless lives. We live sad lives because we live as if there were no resurrection. And I have news for you. He is risen. We celebrate Easter 52 weeks a year. Did you catch the sign? Wasn't that a great sign, Barb? Thanks for mentioning it. Yeah, anyway. We run the risk of not seeing clearly the fact that Jesus is risen. We run the risk as children of God acting like there is no resurrection and acting like Jesus is less than who he truly is. These two people were sad. And look what Jesus says to them in verse 25. What does it say? You know what foolish means? Stupid. Oh, stupid people. You think I'm kidding. Why are they stupid? What's it say? Slow of heart to believe the prophets, right? Slow of heart to believe what? Oh, no, there's three letters there that make all the difference in the world. A, L, L. They had a selective, partial, incomplete understanding of Scripture. Did you hear me? Selective, partial, incomplete. And if you have a selective, partial, incomplete understanding of Scripture, listen to Jesus You are stupid. Why? Because you won't see Jesus clearly. You won't live in light of the resurrection accurately. And in fact, cults predatorily attract people by what? A limited, partial, inaccurate understanding of Scripture. Now, there's an implication here that we see in the doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture. You know what that's about? You know what perspicuity means? It means clarity. Why don't they just say the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, right? Uh I don't know. I asked these questions in seminary, and I got funny looks. Scripture is clear and able to be understood 
by every single person on essential matters. Did, did you catch what I said there? Let me put it this way. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all, yet those things that are necessary to be known, believed and observed for salvation, are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or another, that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. Do you want that in modern English? This is clear enough that the dumbest of you could know enough of it to see Jesus accurately. A child can understand Scripture. Where do you come up with that, Pastor? Thank you, Barb. Barb and, Barb and Roy are on fire today. I think someone's excited for a trip to Florida, right? Way back in this book called Deuteronomy. You ever hear of Deuteronomy? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, see, you can't talk and find Deuteronomy at the same time. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, every good little Jewish kid knows this one. You, you know what the Shema is? Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. You want it in English? It is a requirement that we have. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your highly intelligent children, right? <laughs> to who? All of them. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down. The implication, and we can keep going here. You know Psalm 19.7? You know what Scripture does? It makes wise who? The foolish. Uh. You see that? The perspicuity of Scripture is so important here. This book is not equally clear in all areas. There is heavy reading. Peter says some of Paul's stuff is real hard to understand. But there is enough in here that's clear and of which you are accountable for to understand the fullness of the resurrection and the person of Christ to the point of salvation. Amen? Amen. Now, this is where this starts to get scary. Jesus opened up for them all the scripture. Wouldn't you love to know what he would have taught? But side note, what does all scripture point to? David and Goliath. You ever read the story? It's inspirational. You read it, you're like, dude, I could kill my giants. Victory is mine. I will slay my giant with a stone. It's not what it's actually about. Joshua walked around seven times. I'm going to march around my Jericho and crumble those walls. Not exactly what that's about. In fact, not at all what that's about. <laughs> Scripture are not Aesop's fable tales to give you a motivational speech. They're about Jesus Christ. Jesus came to slew the giant of death. Amen? The, the, all of Scripture, whenever you read a text of Scripture, if you can't see how it points to Christ, you haven't found the meaning of the text yet. Do you guys understand that? Jesus unpacked the scriptures for them. The greatest 
two-hour introduction to Old Testament theology that has ever been presented on the face of the earth. These two people had the most robust knowledge and wisdom of any other two people on the face of the earth at that moment in time. Do you understand that? These are the two wisest people on the earth because Jesus has just unpacked for them from the scriptures how they point to him and the reality that there is a resurrection and he is who he says he is. Side note again. Verse 16. Why did he keep them from recognizing him with their eyes? Oh, this is beautiful. Why did he show up? Shazam! Cleopas is like, it is me, Jesus. Look at my arms and my wound in the side. I am risen. (laughs) Now my hip's really going to hurt. Wouldn't that be more exceptional if Jesus showed up like that? And they'd be like, it's really, really you? It is I, Jesus, with old English accent. (laughs) He blinds their eyes. Remember, Mary thought he was a gardener. These folks got no idea who he is. He's showing them something beautiful. Do you want to see Jesus? If he walked in that door, I suspect you wouldn't know who he was. But he doesn't need to walk in the door for you to know who he is or for you to quote-unquote see him. Do you know how you see Jesus? As he opens the scripture to you. As he goes to say Genesis 3 and says, I'm the wounded seed who would crush the serpent. As he goes to Genesis 6 and says, I am the ark that will bring you to deliverance through the storms of the flood of God's judgment, right? As he goes to Exodus 12 and says, I am the Passover lamb. Exodus 16, I am the manna from heaven. Psalm 22 was all about he. Jesus is seen in the scriptures clearly. 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 Now, How clearly do we know those? Folks, we live in a time of exceptional biblical illiteracy. If I asked you to name the kings of the northern and the southern tribes, could you? Did you know there were northern and southern tribes? The judges, do you know them? The land allotments, the half tribes. I'm not picking on you because I sat in an Old Testament advanced Hebrew exegesis course and the professor said, you know the land allotment for the half tribes. And everybody's like, and he called Scary McGarry, Dennis McGarry, closed his notes. The half tribe land allotments, what were they? It's a class of, of people who shouldn't know scripture, going to be pastors. He said, listen to me. Don't you dare suppose to teach scripture unless you know scripture. He said, that's child teach. That's Sunday school when you were in third grade, the half-tribe land allotments. He says, get serious and come back next week and tell me what those were. These are the people that are going to feed and teach you. Well, what happens when we get out of trivia into basic foundational Christian doctrine? Well, what is it if we don't see Scripture clearly and understand all of it? What does Jesus say it is? It's stupid. And stupid Christianity leads to joyless Christianity, and it leads lost people thinking they're saved. There's a little point of frustration for me personally, because it grieves me to see in the church stupid Christianity. I'm not talking about our church. I'm universal for a minute here. 
But Jesus shows up on this road and he gives a firm rebuke and a loving encouragement. He didn't pull this, you stupid people. I gave you the stinking scriptures. You neglected them. Go to hell. He says, you foolish people. Don't you understand yet? Let me show you. Do you see the, the grace? Let, let, me, let me show you. Remember, there was a king who discovered the scriptures that were stored away and dusty. Mm-hmm. You know the story of that? I want to let you dig that out this week. I suspect we live in a time where scripture got dusty. And if we live in a time where scripture got dusty, what happens is in reality, we're living as if the resurrection isn't true. And we worship a God to me more than a God who is. Now listen to this. This is so important. There is grace. There is mercy. There's an admonition and there's an encouragement. God spoke to us. Why did God reveal himself to people? You ever chew on that? He wasn't lonely. He is gracious and made us to live with him and made a way to reconcile us to himself. And we are reconciled by the blood of Christ. And we are reconciled to God to live with God. And we do that as we live according to his word and see him speak to us through his word. This is crazy. I'm going to jump ahead of my notes because I'm getting a little bit excited here. Look what happens. Jesus opens the scripture and it says at the end here that their hearts burned within them. Do you know one of the markers of a believer? You know what they love? Jesus. I, yeah. Talking to myself, pardon me. A believer will love God's word. Do you remember a time in the past when you first came to faith when you couldn't stop reading scripture? Anybody been there? You heard the gospel, and you're like, I, I got I to know more about God. I, I got to learn. I, I want to I know. I want to know. And then something happens over time. You kind of think you got enough. And then you get up in the mornings, or you sit down in the evenings, and you read, and it's like, wah, 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 wah. And you're like, what a waste of time. And then before you know it, You're not even bothering with it. You show up at church sometimes. You get your fix. And then you wonder why you're struggling so much in your faith. You're starving. You're starving. We were made to feast on the word of God. To live well with the God of the word. Their hearts burned within them. Not when they recognized Jesus face to face with them. Their hearts were burning as he opened to them the scripture. How is scripture open to you? Do you know one of the reasons God gives us a local church? The preaching and teaching of his word. But listen, this is not the only way scripture is opened up to you. Through fellowship of believers in the local church. A sister in Christ this morning was able to open the scriptures for me to help me understand more clearly who Christ is. As we talk to one another, we shouldn't be sharing opinions. And we shouldn't use Christianese logic. You know, if someone says, hey, I'm dealing with this situation, would you pray for me? Let's not say that. What do I mean by that? Will you go to scripture with me? Will you help me to see what God says about this? Would you pray 
that God would open my eyes and our eyes collectively to bring his word to bear on the situation. Do you see the difference? Because Christianese says, oh, pray about it. What the heck does that mean? Pray that God would show us and guide us and speak to us through his word. And he does that individually and corporately. It's found in spending time daily reading scripture, meditating on scripture, storing it up in your heart. And I think there's a challenge here for the church today. That if we would go back to being a people of the book, we might be rejoicing more fully in the God of the book. People tell me, we don't need scripture, we need Jesus. Well, hang on and watch this. It says here that their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Now, I don't know about you, but that's cool. If I'm sitting there and Jesus is like, woo, I'm like, wowzers. And I'm going to run back and be like, church, church, I was eating and Jesus was there and wabam, he was gone. But what do these folks do? They go all the way back to the apostles. And the first thing they say is not, he showed up and he vanished. What's the first thing they say? Look at this. What, what do they say when they get there? They rose the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found them with the eleven, those who were with them gathered together, saying, listen, the Lord is risen indeed. How do they know he's risen indeed? Because he showed them from the scriptures that he had to. That it was prophesied that he would. And that if he didn't, the whole thing falls apart. Right? They don't go, we saw an experience, and I want to tell you about our experience. No. They go and they say, he is risen. He is risen. Indeed. He is risen. Now, if you encounter the risen Lord through his word and walk with him according to his word, listen to this, you will have experiences that will blow your mind. But if you seek the experience, you will miss the Lord. Did you catch that? Mm -hmm. If you seek the Lord according to his word, you will have experiences. But if you seek the experiences to find the Lord, you will miss him. These people set an example for us as Christ works through them to show us the way to see in a dark world is to allow God to speak to us through his what? Word. You ever read Psalm 119? Yeah, it's that long one. There's crazy stuff in Psalm 119. And if you slow down and you actually read Psalm 119, not in the wah-wah-wah-wah-wah way, but chewing on it, Look at some of the stuff the psalmist says. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Hold up, cat. You delight in God's word as much as you delight in all the riches of the world? Somebody don't know what they're talking about. I don't know if it's me or the psalmist. Let's see. Look at verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Look, jump up to 97. And I'm skipping. I got a dozen other listed right there. But look at 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation. Why does he love God's law? How many of you are like, oh, I love God's law? 
right? You know why we don't say that? Well, hang on a minute. I'll show you. It gets, it gets, look at 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Go 130. We'll, we'll stop there. I'll let you read this on your own. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Listen, we talked last week. There is a historical verifiable reality to the resurrection. Basically, you got to be an idiot to try to deny the, the historicity of the resurrection. Just believing it happened will not save you. We are saved to walk in light of the resurrection and in the power of the resurrection. Here's the hook on the back end of it. The most, Don Whitney says this, the most important spiritual discipline, well, I'll ask you, you know what the most important spiritual discipline is? Nobody wants to answer that right now. It's the intake of God's word. Nothing makes us more like the Son of God than the Spirit of God working through the word of God. I'll say that again. Nothing makes us more like the Son of God. That's the object of our salvation is to be conformed to the image of Christ, right? Nothing makes us more like the Son of God than the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. Do you want to see lost people come to faith? Do you know how lost people will come to faith? Do you know how you see Jesus? You bring the Word of God to a lost person. Or you can bring the lost person to hear the Word of God. This is the reason I would encourage people to invite lost friends to church. The, the greatest reason, the greatest thing we can give to them is God's word so they might see God clearly and let them gather with God's people. But apart from God's word, listen here, you cannot come to saving faith. How will they believe unless they hear? That's Romans 10. We'll get there in about six years. <laughs> Do you want to grow in joy? Do you want to glorify God? Do you want to live in the reality of the resurrection? Do you, we're, we're praying for, for the Thomasettis this morning. They, they had one of those days where you got kind of kicked around a little bit. And it's an easy time to go, God, okay, are you really there? I have news for you. He is really there. He is really risen. And he is really powerful. How do you experience God in those moments? Well, you have to know his word. You have to have brothers and sisters alongside you that can bring his word to bear, like, like Renee did for me this morning, where, where we can speak truth into one another's lives and we can live our lives alongside of them in truth. Listen to this. As we consume God's word, as we are transformed, did you know John 17, 17, Jesus says, Father, sanctify them, mature them, right? Sanctify them. And how does he say sanctify them? This is very interesting. By programs. By fun stuff, Wrong. by elapsing time, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. We have tried for a couple generations to sanctify believers apart from the word of God. The, the verdict is in. It doesn't work. We live in a strange time where it's really, really hard to tell by and large, the difference between a lost person and a saved person. It shouldn't be so hard to tell. But what happens is, 
when we leave a healthy, steady diet of God's word, we don't understand who the God of the word is. And we turn Jesus into a Jesus to me. We open ourselves up to, to be uh, subjected to false teaching. Listen to this. If you look around and think about people who were here 12 months ago, 12 to 18 months back, there are some missing spots. There are a number of those people who have gotten sucked into false teaching and are in a scary place where you have to ask, is this a believer who is just cast in sin or someone who never truly knew Christ? That's not a personal statement. That's just a reality that in almost all of those cases, do you know what was missing? And one of the great sadnesses as a pastor in interacting with people, when you are missing the basis of the word of God, you are subject to disaster abounding. My friends, do you understand what a gracious and magnificent God we serve? Here's something crazy in here too. They sat down to eat with Jesus. A lot of people don't understand what's going on here. They're like, oh, he had communion with them. Did you see that? Jesus broke the bread, right? It's not communion. Hey, no way is this communion. On a whole lot of different levels, I can express to you this is not communion. Do you know what this is? They say, hey, come stay with us. It's getting late. Do you know why they want to stay with them? This is not, I'm going to go ahead and propose, this has nothing to do with hospitality either. This has to do with, well, we want to learn more. Tell us more. We never saw this before. And you can imagine them reclining at a table, and the food's out on the table, and we can suspect maybe this Cleopas and his wife at their house, okay? And they're just like, tell, tell, tell us more. Could we hear more? And you can, like, Jesus, he's probably inside kind of laughing. And he's like, oh, man, it's getting late. Aren't you guys getting hungry? He's not saying this out loud. He's just, he's just teaching. He's just unpacking scripture. And listen, you ever have this experience? This happens to me every week, and I love it. Time just warps. You're you're in the midst of of just studying scripture, and all of a sudden you look up, and it's like dark outside, right? Or or you're sitting reading your Bible in the morning, and you're like, whoa, I got to get going here. You just, you fall into this, and God is opening your eyes to stuff, and you're just like, wow. So, So these two, they're sitting there, and they got Jesus teaching them. And you know, they're like, huh, more, more. And finally, Jesus goes, guys, let's eat. Because see, the way people ate back then, the host took the bread and broke it and passed it out, and people would dip the bread. Well, Jesus is being gracious here and going, guys, you need to eat. I'll keep talking for a little bit, but you need to eat here. Do Do you see what's going on here? Their hearts are burning in them. They're, they're learning. They're seeing clearly. They're going, he's really risen. They're all fired up about this. And as soon as they had this understanding, Jesus opened their eyes. I don't know what that looked like. Maybe he passed the bread, and they're like, what is, what, what's on your wrist? And bam, it clicked. Maybe that's how their eyes opened, right? And he just left. But, but this isn't communion. These are people who could care less about the physical food because they're feasting on the word of God. Church, may we be like those people. Let's not neglect to eat food, but let's feast deeply on the living bread through the living word. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen to me. If you don't know Christ, and you want to know Christ, he is very knowable, and you can come to know him through his word. 
You may say, but I don't want to put in the effort. Well, then you don't want to know Christ. Friends, if you know Christ, do you know how you came to know Christ? Through his word, he revealed himself to you as he drew you to himself and he saved you to walk intimately with him and enjoy him and have joy with him and glorify him. And to do that, you must sanctify yourself by his, let me rephrase that, he will sanctify you by and through his word. We try all sorts of ways to bring lost people to faith. And the sadness is we've hit this point where it's like, are we tipped over or not quite there? The church in America follows the church in Europe on about a 20 to 30 year delay. Anybody been to Europe in the last decade or two? A lot of pretty churches there. They're bed and breakfasts and coffee shops and museums. You know what happened? Read church history. The word of God got pushed away. The people of God began to neglect the word of God and they didn't communicate the word of God to lost people. Listen, we we do our men's Bible study on Tuesday night and I'm having a great time with it. The rest of you can keep coming because I'm enjoying it. I'm benefiting from it. One of the long-term hopes I have is that we do things like that on our own amidst our friends who don't yet know Christ because that's how they come to know Christ. Invite your friends to church. Bring them to Sunday school. Help them see Christ because I have a secret for you. He is risen. For us to live in light of the resurrection requires us to walk in the light that God sets before us. God's word, I believe I read somewhere in the Psalms, is a light and a lamp, no? So I was down there in my parents' guest bedroom. I I don't know why I remember this, probably just for today, now I can forget it. I was cozied in, it was so comfortable. Life was going so great for me down there. You know, when, when all your muscles are relaxed and, and you're warm and you're comfortable. And I was like, oh. And I, I still remember the terror of that moment when you crash a wall and you don't know where you are. And I'm too old. Plus, Laura was there and we were dating. I can't go screaming out for help. That'd be freaky. Mommy! I couldn't. I had to wait a few years before I started doing that. And, and you're flailing around and you hit the light switch and you're like, wow, I was an idiot. I forgot I was down here. Guys, Jesus is saying, don't be stupid. All scripture points to Christ. This text points to Christ in about 15 different ways. Because on the very day he rose from the dead, I see two people who gave up on him. It says that very day, Resurrection Sunday, the two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And whenever you read scripture or contemporary culture, like, how did they walk so far? They went back too. I wouldn't made the 14 miles. I'd be like, (gasps) (gasps) so they go in to Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they're talking with each other about all these things. What are these things? Well, they're talking about the triumphal entry. They're talking about the temple teaching. They're talking about the arrest. They're talking about the mock trials. They're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about the, the stories of the empty tomb. All these things that happened while they're talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Now, that wouldn't be that strange because they're, they're Sinead O'Connor. Wow, this comes out of nowhere. She wrote a song. I think it was Sinead O'Connor. What if God was one of us? You guys ever hear that song? And there's a part in the song where it's like, hey, what, just a slob like one of us. It's not a slob. But there's a part where 
what she proposes, what if God was riding the bus with us? Would we even know? The road to Emmaus was the equivalent of a bus. Sinead O'Connor, I do not have any belief she knew who Christ was as you listen to more of her music, but, but she knew truth inherently here. They're riding the bus to Emmaus and some guys on the bus with them, right? So you're in a crowded street. A guy's just walking by. This isn't anything crazy. Jesus draws near, goes to them. Their eyes are kept from recognizing him. I love this. He says, what are, what are you guys talking about? You know, he, he's poking to show their ignorance so he could show them truth. And, and you need to see the grace in this. I hope everything I'm communicating today is simply from Scripture because I poke myself with it too. I'll trust the Holy Spirit pokes. God will graciously poke you in your ignorance to wake you up to have joy in him and bring him greater glory. So he pokes these guys. What are you all talking about? What is this conversation? And they stood looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas says, Are you, uh, you imagine when he figured out he said this to Jesus? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? See, this is a good thing why I'm not God, because I'd be like, Shut you, shush. You're an ignorant fool. I'm the only one that knows this, and I'm trying to be nice, and you want to be stupid, talk to me like that. So it's a good thing Jesus isn't like me. Are you the only one who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And he says to them, I love this, just, just look at the grace of Christ in this. What things? What, what things? So I'd be like, bam! Jesus is like, what things? Do, do you see the love and mercy and grace of Christ? What, what, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man, now watch this, past tense, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. All the people liked Jesus. They thought he was a great prophet, a miracle worker. These are all the people who denied him. They all like, they all like him until you face the reality of the resurrection. And he says, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. He says, but we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. They thought they would have a political savior. They didn't understand the reality of who the savior would be. They didn't realize they needed to be saved from sin. They thought they needed to be saved from Rome. He says, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since those things happened. These guys are disciples. I don't think they were saved yet. I think like Apollos. They knew, they knew scripture, but they didn't know all of it. They didn't know it completely. He says, besides this, it's the third day. They're going, he even said he'd rise on the third day. It's late afternoon. I don't see no risen guy. These guys are sassy now. Moreover, listen to this, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of, an, of angels who said that he was alive. They're like mocking these ladies. Even the ladies went crazy with nonsense and angel talk. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. And you should be like, at this point, just be like, okay, Cleopas, you may be the stupidest person in Jerusalem. Why do you think you didn't see me in the tomb? Because I wasn't in the tomb. Well, it's the third day, yeah, and I'm standing right, right here risen, right? But, but do you see the grace of Christ? And what I want to drive home there is this is not a text to beat you down, to say, you are so stupid, don't be stupid. That's not what this text is saying. This text is saying, you are really stupid. But Jesus came to save stupid people. 
and he sanctifies stupid people. And the reality is, you cannot grow in your faith until you realize how stupid you really are in your faith. There are no non-stupid Christians on this side of eternity. Did you hear that? There are no non-stupid Christians on this side of eternity. We are called sheep. Sheep are one of the stupidest animals. And I would like to understand why Jesus chose sheep. I got enough of a glimpse of why he chose sheep. They stink. They, they got silly little legs, so they get gassy from eating bad food and fall over. Imagine yourself flopped over on your back with your silly little legs. You can't even push up, and the shepherd has to come over and reach under and pull you up so you can break gas, so you can walk. That's what Jesus says you are as Christians, all right? But Jesus came, you think I'm kidding, do some research on cast sheep. Just, just go ahead and research that. That's exactly what they're doing. They're gassed up. Jesus comes and he lifts you up and stands there as your shepherd in your gas. You are breaking gas around Jesus. But he came to help you break gas, if you will. He came so that you can walk with him. So this isn't Jesus beating you down as Jesus saying, understand who you are. You are gaseous sheep. And I love gaseous sheep. I saved gaseous sheep. But stop flopping over and getting all gassy. And then Jesus says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Do you understand or would you pray to God to help you understand in your life where you are being foolish and failing to trust in the word of God? Because we all do this in different ways. Now listen closely. The way to identify this begins with prayer. It occurs under the word of God as the Holy Spirit convicts us through the word of God. And it is carried out best in a fellowship of believers because that's how the word of God calls us to live. When we begin to isolate ourselves, we often do that because this is what happens. We realize, oof, I'm kind of being stupid. I don't want anyone to know I'm stupid. I don't want anyone to see how stupid I am. Listen, we're all stupid sheep. As we walk into the flock in our stupidity, other stupid sheep help us to be less stupid for the glory of God. That's how God intends this to happen. Do you see that? And the more we understand all scripture points to Christ, the more we will end up like these two people doing crazy things to make much of Jesus. We're going to talk downstairs on a more practical level how to hook this together and how to, how to drive those points home. But my friends, the question is for you today. Do you desire to live with Christ more intimately? Do you desire to know Christ? Do you desire to glorify Christ? If so, look to the scriptures. Consume the scriptures. Feast on the scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures. Understand the power of God to be had as he conforms us according to his word for his glory. This isn't a quick fix. It's a lifelong process. And maybe you have years of neglect, but by God's grace, you have today to begin. And God does not care how well you intellectually know scripture. He cares how well you've been conformed to the image of his son through the word of his son. Do you understand this? This is a gift from God and a challenge to us. 
If we want to see lost people come to faith, we must bring them the word of God. If we want to grow in our faith, we must be consumed with the word of God. If we want to be a church that is pleasing to God, we must be a church based on the word of God. And to the degree that our lives are lived in accordance with the word of God, we have the joy that God of the word desires for us to have. We have lots of plans and thoughts and ideas. God's are perfect and pure. Ours are not. How do we experience the reality of the resurrection was where we were going to head from last week. Step one, understand the basis and the foundational importance of the word of God in that process. We're going to take communion today. And you say, well, where's a pivot from this text to communion? It's actually a really easy pivot. <laughs> we, we can go into communion a lot of different ways, but but I was thinking of it this way. You ever been to a, a wedding vow renewal? I was actually thinking of doing this because I don't know, do you get gifts? I thought, Lord, I could freshen up some of the stuff around the house. So I'm looking into that. So if we may register and renew our vows. Sometimes people renew their vows to be reminded of who they are relationally together, right? They're, they're already married. But they'll have this ceremony where, where they're re-covenanting, if you will. They're, they're, they're reminding themselves and reaffirming to one another and to all those around them that this is my beloved, that, that, that I am covenanted to her or him for the glory of God. Do you know what this is? This is a renewing of vows, actually. It, it is a time that Jesus calls us to, to renew our vows with him. And I was thinking about this as I was reading just this morning in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. And I find that as it ties into our sermon, we can so easily just take truth we know and blow by and feel like we have enough of it. But, but, but listen to this. <clears throat> the following instructions, I do not commend you because I'm in verse 17. When you come together, it is not for better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. We should do communion on the first Sunday of the month. It was Easter last, last week, which is why we didn't do it. And there's a story behind that for another time. But on the first Sunday of most months, uh, there's an uptick in church attendance. Did you know that? People got to go get their communion. You, you got you to check the box. You got you to eat the magic bread. And somehow God's like, oh, you're good. You had, you had your communion this month? Check, you're good. See you in a month. Well, I don't know. You read that text. Those people are showing up just to get full. We're showing up to check a box. Not us, people, I'm saying in general. And I read that and I thought, huh, what does it look like to take communion in an unworthy manner? How are we supposed to come to this table as we renew our vows and in light of this gracious God before whom we're stupid but loves us so much that he's making us less stupid for his glory? And, and look at this. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you 
that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The life he lived, the perfect life he lived that we couldn't. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. His blood for the remission of sin. His life poured out so that we might have life. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. It says in verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So here's what I want to do today. Before we, if you will, renew our vows, what if we just spend some time in prayer, just us and the Lord, and we looked at our lives, we examined ourselves, and we asked the Lord, Lord, where am I being foolish? Lord, Lord where, where am I not truly resting and rejoicing in who you are, who I was apart from you, and who I am in you? Let's also spend a little bit of time asking ourselves if, if we really hate sin. Where in our lives are we complacent with our current level of sin? And where can we praise God for a lack of complacency and cry out to him to help us to never be complacent with sin? And lastly, we ask this question I'll propose. Are we really loving God as he would call us to? And is that being evidenced through our love for one another, in particular our love for the brethren? And the answer obviously is going to be not as well as we should. But perhaps before we come up, and, and I've been to a bunch of weddings over the years, and I've seen vows exchanged, and then I see vows broken. And here's the beauty. Y'all have broken your vow commitment with Christ. But the marriage to Christ is not dependent upon how well you keep your vow, is it? It's dependent upon how well he keeps his. Now, if you are truly saved, one of the ways to know that is because you will come to understand more fully through his word who Christ is and who you are in him. You will come to grieve sin and fight sin and flee from sin, and you will come to love God and love the brethren and sisters uniquely in Christ. So in light of our text, where Christ lovingly and unabashedly tells us how foolish we are, and how much he loves foolish people, and what he calls foolish people to. Let's spend a couple minutes before we come forward so that we not do it any more foolishly than we ought. So we might glorify God through this marvelous gift, this remembrance of what he has done, who we are in Christ, and looking forward to the day that we will eat this feast with him. So I will pray, and then I invite you to come forward um, down the center and out on the back ends. Lord Jesus, please help us. I pray, Lord, that we would be given by you an increasing love for you and a love for your word. That we might understand more fully how the psalmist felt to be able to describe your law as he did. 
that we might be willing to trust you, Lord, in a proper stewardship of your word. And that, Lord, we might see that the intake of your word is not an intellectual exercise. It's a means of growing in intimacy with you. And, Lord, as we do by your power, I pray that we might experience more fully the reality of the resurrection in our lives. And that through our lives, you might proclaim and show the effects of resurrection people. Lord, as we come forward to take communion today, I pray that we would pause and think about how we are able to rightly do this before you. It is only by grace through faith that we can come to this table in a manner that is acceptable. It is not dependent upon how well we live or the measure of of maturity in our faith. It is totally dependent upon whether or not we have been saved by you. And Lord, we praise you for that. But Lord, as those who have been saved, I pray that we would come to this table in a manner that your children should. Just as growing up in, in homes with our parents, there were table manners. I pray that we have our table manners in place. That we don't come flippantly, that we don't come casually, but that we do come expectantly. That we do come hopefully. And that we do come being reminded of what an incredible Savior we have and what needy and dependent people we truly are. So, Lord, until you return, I pray that by your grace and in your power, we would continue to take this sacrament and we would be a people who look forward to the fact that you will come again because we are people who know with absolute certainty that you are risen. You are risen indeed. Lord Jesus, we pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. I invite you to spend a couple minutes in prayer and come forward as you are ready. And we will close with a song and a benediction.